This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 11th of June 2021. And even though Victoria's coronavirus restrictions started to ease overnight, we are by no means completely out of the woods yet. There was a bit of a weird curveball that happened a day or two ago where we found out that a couple who had come from Melbourne had driven through New South Wales and arrived in Queensland and then tested positive to coronavirus. And it looks like they were probably at their most infectious while they were on the road. Norman, does this set us right back to the beginning or is it just a little blip? Uh, Well, we'll find that out in terms of how many people they came in contact with. It was mostly, I think, rural New South Wales. So there were, from what we got yesterday, and again, this could have changed by the time people open up their corona cast. But as of yesterday, they they seem to have been more at their most infectious when they left Victoria and went through New South Wales. So it just depends on whether or not there were any significant spreading events at you know through through their journey or during their journey fortunately it would have happened in mostly rural new south wales where there's possibly less potential for spread but as we saw with the second wave in the united states there were plenty of rural centers that got infected so there's no reason to be complacent here country towns can get seriously infected from the overseas experience with covid-19 it's likely this is the um, at least as we record this that this is the Kappa variant, but we don't know that for sure. And if it's the Kappa variant, it's not as infectious as the Delta variant. So we just need to see because there's a lot of loose ends in this journey up to the Sunshine Coast. So far, we haven't heard that there's been any lockdowns introduced in Queensland or New South Wales. And we also, separately to this, had uh, four new cases all in one household that were announced yesterday in Victoria that didn't seem to be directly linked to any uh, known clusters at that time. They're obviously investigating that, but they're still lifting those restrictions in Victoria as well. And it just made me think about how tricky the push and pull is of the public health decisions that public health officials have to make when trying to mitigate this, but also let people live their lives as much as possible. Yes. I think that we can have confidence in the Victorian contact tracers. There aren't too many mystery cases, and hopefully they can chase all that down. So they haven't gone to fully opening up. There's still a degree of social distancing in Victoria, and that's a good thing. And they just need to hold the water for a while just to make sure they have tied everything down. And obviously one of the things that everyone wonders when this sort of thing happens is when do we start to go back to normal again? And what does normal look like? We're sort of like vaccinating people at an increasing rate. And Norman, there's some new modelling that's come out of the Burnett Institute that sort of looks at what the next year or so might look like, uh, depending on different levels of vaccination coverage. Can you just give us a brief recap on who the Burnett Institute is and what they've found? So the Burnett Institute is one of our premier infectious disease institutes in, in Australia, and indeed internationally run by Professor Brendan Crapp. And they do a lot of work on bloodborne viruses. They do a lot of work on tropical diseases. They do a lot of work on malaria and TB and other diseases in the in poorer countries. Um, there's a lot of people in that institute with it, with overseas experience and with pandemic experience. And they also have a mathematical modelling unit that can take variables and actually look at what uh, what the outcomes might be. And they've been a very useful source of alternate modelling throughout this pandemic, particularly in relation to opening up lockdown, what would have happened if we had not locked down and things like that. And what they found with this modelling, it, it just looks at the impact of immunization at various levels, at vaccination at various levels, and the extent to which we can open up. What it finds is that 
having say 80% coverage, it's really important. So the, the, the sensitive issues here are how much coverage you get by vaccination, that's critical. And it is going to be difficult to get to over 80%, but they, they've modeled that in with various scenarios and you can fiddle around with the scenarios as well. And about variants and whether or not the extent to which our borders are open and we get leaks and so on. And what they find is that vaccination does indeed give us protection, but there's still a lot of people who are unprotected and we're vulnerable and we are still vulnerable to outbreaks. Even with high levels of vaccination at the current state of the pandemic, we may well have to go into restrictions. Um, they may be less fierce and we can maybe mitigate them, but the, uh, we should just not think that we can just open up without anything else being in place. Well, here to give us much more detail than that is someone from the Bennett Institute themselves. Professor Margaret Hellett is the Deputy Director of the Institute and an Infectious Diseases and Public Health Specialist. Welcome, Margaret. Hi, Tegan and Norman. Lovely to be with you today. So, Margaret, just take us through, because you've got the various scenarios in this modelling, um, and a lot of it is focused on immunisation rates, herd immunity, and where we need to get to. Just give us, and you've got three scenarios there. Just, just walk us through what you've come up with. What we're been trying to understand and, and help the government to understand is if we were to vaccinate the population, does that mean that once we get to a certain level of the population being vaccinated, are we sort of all right to open up totally? And what the models are showing is that even if we get to very high levels of vaccination, we will continue to have some level of risk if we have cases of COVID come into the community and we just let it run through the community without applying um, restrictions so that even if the community is well vaccinated, there will be occasions when we need to be aware that we need to get tested if we've got symptoms. We need to um, perhaps then if there's cases running through the community, have restrictions imposed for short or long periods. So I got, I got pretty depressed when I read it because it looked as though vaccination is not going to help that much even when you get to 80 or 90% levels. So just take us through the variables that you've considered. I, when I first saw it as well, Norman, thought it was really sobering. It's like, oh, drats, can't you guys give me a nicer model than this? When you look at it, what, we haven't, what we've just put with this model is to say, we're not intervening at all. If you just have 80% coverage of vaccination, which is a challenge, with the new variants coming through and their infectiousness, you just can't just go, right, we're vaccinated, let it rip, guys. What you have to say is we're vaccinated, but we have to be mindful, particularly if we want to open up our borders and return to broader normal, that there will be occasions when we need to have restrictions or impose. But the thing is, it's going to be far less likely if we're all vaccinated. So what the story really tells us is absolutely we've got to get vaccinated. So that's critical number one, because if, if, you, if you play with the model and it's kind of like you can jump online and choose your own adventure, if we've got really low levels of vaccination, we are stonkered in the sense of any disease gets in, we're in this constant um, lockdown restriction phase, open up again. If we're vaccinated, it becomes less likely. And the more people are vaccinated, the better. But it doesn't mean we're footloose and fancy free. One of the things that really jumped out at me in some of the graphs that you've got is that the even though the risk is a lot reduced when we have higher levels of vaccination in the different scenarios that you look at, the people that really bear the brunt of the infections, the, the one of the measures you looked at was people in intensive care units, they're the people who are unvaccinated. So even though we still have cases uh, in some of these be better scenarios with more vaccine coverage, it's the people who are unvaccinated that are really going to be hit the hardest. It's people who are unvaccinated, you're absolutely right. 
And, and so the sooner we get less people unvaccinated, the better, if that's, I think, pretty poor English, but you know what I mean. And the other thing is we know no vaccine is perfect. So even when people are vaccinated, it doesn't work perfectly on everybody. So you'll see also as we vaccinate more of the population that the group who are at risk are actually people who may have had the vaccine, but it didn't work perfectly on. So it's a combination of, of those two. It, it's a maintaining of vigilance and it's at a, a making sure that we let people know that story clearly so that people understand rather than just getting, you know, teed off about, well, I thought if we got vaccinated, we'd be all rock and rolling. No, actually, we need you to get vaccinated because we're in a dire situation in terms of moving forward if we're not. But even then, understand this is an ongoing issue. So what are you saying then that apart from the what Tegan just asked about, which is really the unvaccinated proportion of the population. So if you've got 90% vaccinated, there's still 10% of the population vulnerable, which is orders of magnitude greater than the people who've already been infected with COVID in Australia. I mean, it's just huge compared to what we've had. But, but secondly, how important are variants to this, to your modelling? They're super important. And there's two things with variants that we don't know. So is a variant more infectious, which makes our job harder because it transmits through the population faster. Is it nastier? Is it more pathogenic? Like it doesn't make you more likely to get sick? That's a problem as well. And we don't know what a future variant would look like. And finally, is a variant developed a way to sneak around our vaccines so the vaccines are not as good? Future variants could have a combination of all of those three things. I'm going to ask you a kind of moral question rather than an epidemiological question is if you get to the point where say 80% of the population have, are immunised, but 100% of the population have genuinely had the opportunity to be immunised. Do we still have a responsibility to those 20% because they've chosen not to have it done? So absolutely. And I think because I think, number one, when we talk about people having opportunity, I do work with outside of COVID in, in, with people who have really complex social circumstances and lives. And when I would say that somebody has had um, we have to all talk about what does opportunity mean. My view is that if you take a really human-centred, focused approach to health, then have we set up our health systems that help the most marginalised in our community? And often what we have is when we say, oh, we've given everybody an opportunity. They've had an opportunity to go to a hub. They've had an opportunity to go to a GP. They've had an opportunity for this, that or the other. But it doesn't mean that we've all had equity in that opportunity. If I actually find it much harder to engage with health systems. So absolutely no, that's the first thing. And the second thing is if you don't even want to have that sort of, and I'm always careful about health people going on to moral stances, but if you want to just be hard-nosed pragmatic, the vaccine's not perfect. So if 80% of the population have been vaccinated, but the vaccine is only 70% effective, you've still got people where the vaccine hasn't worked. So does your modelling allow for opening up at all? Yes, it does. We can build those things in. Just so you know, um, we put this out. For us to run this model takes us days and days. So we will build in, well, what happens when you intervene? We can do those things. So we can open up. But what I'm saying is when we do open up, we have to be ready to have moments where we have restrictions imposed if it looks like too much infection is getting out and about in the community. But to me, importantly, what it tells us is we need to do some super heavy thinking and work around when we want to open up and bring people in from um, outside of Australia, what does quarantine look like? We've done other work. We did models um, last year 
called, and it was called the Transparent Risk Assessment of Quarantine, where we looked at when people come from a country, their likelihood, if they're coming from a low prevalence country or a high prevalence country, of them bringing infection in through quarantine and whether we can reduce the length of quarantine. And what we were able to show with that is that you could significantly reduce the length of quarantine if somebody was coming from a really low prevalence country. And that's the kind of thinking that also needs to accompany this is what are we going to do about that? As countries increasingly get hopefully more vaccinated, and as I said, our, as a global citizen, it makes sense for us to be really helping that happen. You're going to get lowering and lowering and lowering of the prevalence in the amount or the amount of disease, sorry, prevalence means the amount of disease in countries. And then that enables us to have a far more pragmatic, responsive quarantine system where it means you may not have to quarantine for two weeks. You may have things like vaccine passports. You may be able to quarantine at home, depending on what the amount of infection was in the country from where you came. There's a lot of complexity that goes into the sorts of decisions that you're talking about in terms of who gets to quarantine for how long and when and what sort of public health interventions there are. How far into the future is your model looking? Is this what we're looking at for the next maybe two or three years or is this what we're looking at indefinitely? This model doesn't look for indefinitely. It says, you know, it it models out for the next sort of period. Next year, this model runs, we ran it sort of looking at what does the year look like as we rolled out the vaccine program. Well, we know this when viruses get introduced or bugs get introduced into to our systems, that it can sometimes take a number of years before, I guess what I'll say is we come into equilibrium with that, with that bug, where we are actually got enough vaccination, got enough understanding, have a yearly influenza vaccine. It's part of the norm of certain age groups that we, we actually learn, how do we actually get this sorted and get it right? COVID's making us have to go back a long way in terms of quarantine stations and various things and go forward in a long way in the sense that we're doing it super fast in terms of developing vaccines. And it's extraordinary how quickly we're able to sort of genetically map the bug and how it's spreading. So so we're sort of going back and forward at the same time. But I think we will get to a, a place of equilibrium, but it'll it'll take us not, you know, the next month. This will take us some time and it is beyond 2021 and definitely well into 2022, maybe to 2023. But we will learn to adapt. Humans are fabulous like that. We're very clever, adaptive people um, and we will get there. But we just have to understand it, it doesn't happen within an hour. Margaret, thank you very much. That was terrific. My pleasure. Thank you. So that was Professor Margaret Hellard, who's Deputy Director of the Burnett Institute in Melbourne. Now, just to let you know, it's the long weekend in some eastern states and we haven't had a break for a little while, so we're going to take Monday and Tuesday off and we will see you on Wednesday. If things blow up, we will come back, promise, but we will see you on Wednesday. As always, send send your questions in if you've got some burning questions over the long weekend, abc.net.au slash coronacast. See you Wednesday. See you then. See you then.